Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. You ever heard somebody say that preacher's really doing some plowing? This is where it comes from. It is plowing. He says, um, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and that they are they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I appreciate those songs we just sung, and Lord, I appreciate the privilege of giving. Lord, right now I pray that you'd bless truly bless, empower the preaching that it might be in demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray you'll take this unworthy vessel and allow the Holy Ghost to do through me what I cannot do. May your people know the heart of this message and may they receive it as you would have them to do so. I pray, God, that every person in this room would be drawn closer to you and, God, that you would have your way and be glorified. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series has been looking at the local church as Paul addresses the church at Corinth. And again, the goal is to learn from the mistakes of this church and also to strengthen our church for for days to come, things that we've not experienced yet. I hope and pray, and I believe it's true, that that God is preparing us uh, for things we've not yet faced. And that's how God normally does things. So in chapter 7, Paul said, when he started chapter 7, he said, let me write some things concerning those things whereof you wrote unto me. He said, you wrote me with questions, now I'm going to address them. And Paul started addressing some of their questions in chapter 7. In chapter 8, we preached on dealing with our differences, that you and I are going to have differences. How will we deal with those differences? How will we handle those differences? Especially those areas we call the gray areas or doubtful disputations is what it's called in Romans. And when you and I have some of those gray areas and doubtful disputations, how are we going to handle 
our disagreements. Now, here in chapter 9, we could easily call this chapter Paul's answer to his critics. Uh, Paul is, is dealing with somebody raising questions about his authority and his apostleship, if you will. And uh, may I say, there's no way... I, I can't skip this chapter just because it's hard to preach it. I don't want to do that. In the midst of dealing with these questions about doubtful disputations in gray areas, Paul's trying to answer those things, and in the middle of it, it looks like in this chapter he decides he's going to give his credentials... He almost writes his own letter of recommendation. Is it possible that a preacher could be right with God and tell you why you ought to listen to him? That's what Paul does. He's not being arrogant. He's not being self-serving. He's explaining to them why it's important that they listen to him and that they respect his authority. So in verse 1, uh, he asks four rhetorical questions. The answer is yes to each one. Am I an, not an apostle? Yes, you are. Am I not free? Yes, you are. Have I not seen Jesus Christ? Yes, you have. Are you not my work in the Lord? Yes, we are. Four rhetorical questions. And then in verse 2, he basically says, Now some outsiders might question my calling. Some visitors might question my authority. Some people that are not members of the church might question me but surely not you. He says in verse 2, If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. As if to say, you folks know me. Paul is saying, you've heard me preach, you've watched my life, you've been around me for 18 months. When you read the book of Acts, you find that out. And he says, your very existence is the fruit of my ministry. Your very existence, the fruit of this local church, he says, is the seal of my authority and the proof of my calling. Your very fruit and ministry and lives, he says to them, proves that I'm God's man for this purpose. That's what Paul says. I hope y'all are getting this. Why does Paul suddenly feel the need to state his calling and his credentials? Why does he take a chapter, it seems like, out of the context of dealing with doubtful disputations and questions that they're asking him and, and, and has to deal with his authority and his credentials and his apostleship? Why does he have to do that? There's several things you need to notice. He says in verse 3, My answer to them that do examine me is this. So he's going to give an answer to his critics. Number one, Paul, I want us to learn from this, this, these three, if I don't get past these three verses, evidently, it'd be okay. I believe these are some things we need to hear. Number one, what I want us to learn from these few verses is that Paul is being scrutinized. Preachers do live in a glass house. They are under a microscope. That's just reality. And by the way, I didn't even complain about it. I'm just stating the facts. I could preach um, for, for an hour and 250 people get insight and help, but somebody's going to believe talking about the fact that spittle got on my coat. 
And that's all they're going to talk about. That's right. I don't like the way he looks over his glasses. Well, I can't see through them. So I look over them. You're not a text. I need to see a text. I put my glasses. I'm looking through them. I want to look at you. I do it this way. Why? Because I can see you better. Real deep explanation, isn't it? I'm telling you, preachers live in a glass house. I could illustrate it over and over again. I'm not going to. The second thing I want us to gather from these few verses is there's something real sad going on here. I want you to notice in verse 1, Paul says at the end of verse 1, Are not ye my work in the Lord? You see, the amazing thing it seems to Paul and any preacher that's been around for any length of time at all is that even the people that you give your heart to, even the people who watch you for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, even the people that you visit in the hospital, you do their weddings, you preach their funerals, you counsel and you cry with them, they bring you their children to deal with, they walk out the door, shake your hand and say, we love you and we appreciate you. Those same people criticize you, lie about you, undermine you, and sow discord. The very same people. Due to one small nudge from a disgruntled former church member. Or they criticize and lie about you and undermine you and sow discord because even though they've been around you for 10 years and seen your faithfulness, you make one mistake that makes them look bad and they throw everything else out the window. And Paul knew it better than anybody. Like I said, these are lessons we need to learn from the mistakes at Corinth. So Paul says, we won't turn there, I'll just read it to you. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Isn't that sad? You can preach their mama's funeral. You can preach their unborn baby's funeral. You can get out of the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the emergency room. You can love their kids through the rebellious years. You can be there for them 24-7. But just one mistake. And out the window all that other stuff goes. That's the reality. And that's what Paul is addressing. It's a sad truth. The third thing I'd like for us to learn from this passage is that evidently, As Paul tries to deal with their questions and some of their doubtful disputations, some of those gray areas, Paul realizes that if they don't recognize his calling or his authority, he's wasting his breath. You see, I believe the reason Paul goes to these words in chapter 9 after dealing with some of those gray areas in chapter 8 is it seems to dawn upon him, why should I even answer your questions if you don't believe I'm a man of God anyway? If you don't believe that God called me, that God equipped me, that God sent me, and that God placed me as your pastor, then why waste my breath is the seemingly impression of what Paul is saying in chapter 9. Now please hear this church, Cornerstone Baptist Church, any decent, honest preacher knows 
Any decent, honest preacher knows that we're all, all sinners saved by grace. Any decent, honest preacher knows that we have feet of clay, that we are no better than you are, that we battle our flesh just like you do, and that while we have a role to play that may be different than yours, none of us are better than anybody else. We don't have some closer connection to God than you do. Any decent preacher knows that. But if a preacher or a pastor is just another voice, just another opinion, then why not just go see the lost businessman and get his opinion about music? If he's just a man, and only a man, if he's just a sinner saved by grace, if you do not believe a man has the call of God on his life and that God placed him in the position of pastor, you ought not to waste five seconds listening to him. But if you do believe that God still calls men to pastor and gave you a pastor, you better be real careful how you respond to his preaching. Paul seems to understand that he's wasting his breath with people that do not even recognize him as a man called of God. Some of you might ought to ask yourself today, does God still call men to preach? Does He still have a gift of pastor-teacher for saints? Ephesians 4. Do I believe my pastor is called to God? You might ought to ask yourself that question. And if the answer to all those is no, you better go find one. But if the answer is yes, you better be careful. Yes, it would be much easier for another pastor to come here and preach this. But it's my job. And I take my job seriously. I mean, this must be pretty important because after verse 3, Paul spends the bulk of the chapter giving his credentials. <laughs> it would be easy to say that all he's talking about in these next 10, 12 verses is money and paying the preacher. But what he's really doing is setting the stage to explain what he's been willing to deny himself in order to be a blessing to them. He does teach on paying the preacher. He does teach on some financial issues. But he does it with a different motive in mind. Listen, church, before we get to his credentials, he's going to remind them of his authority. He's going to give them his marks of authenticity. But please remember the context. In chapter 8, Paul teaches them, you should be willing to deny yourself for the sake of testimony. In chapter 8, he teaches them they need to limit their liberty for the cause of Christ. In chapter 8, he teaches them to be willing to give up some things for the bigger cause. And in chapter 9, he uses himself as an illustration of a person that did that. So, that said, he's going he's to do a little show and tell here in chapter 9. And he's going to show and tell them how he himself has done what he's asking them to do. That he's not above them. 
And the indirect lesson of chapter 9 is, here's what I've done. And then he, in essence, says, now what about you? Here's my example. What's yours? I'm going to state my credentials. I'm going to show you my marks. But you too name the name of Christ and you too live in a glass house. You call yourself a Christian, you too are going to be examined. You are going to be scrutinized. You are going to be observed by the lost world to see what kind of change God made in your life. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to change for the testimony of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul teaches them here. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, For henceforth let no man trouble me. Again in Galatians 6, it's very possible he's addressing people who's questioning his apostleship. And he says this, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. But we're reading about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. You know what it says about Moses? He esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. What reproaches have you and I endured to be a Christian? What marks do we have to prove that we're saved and that God's made a difference in our lives? You see, as you read 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9, and 10, it'd be real easy to read between the lines. And you can imagine the church members sitting in the church in Corinth saying, I'm not going to quit eating that meat for anybody. There's nothing wrong with me eating that meat. And I don't care what Paul says. You can almost hear them saying, I'm not going to give up my swimming party just for my testimony. I'm not going to give up questionable music. Questionable music. I don't care what the preacher says. I'm not going to give up the amusement park. I'm not going to give up my tight blue jeans. I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the kind of attitude Paul's having to address. That there may be some gray areas, questionable areas, but that's why God gave them Paul. To say, you know, it would be wise for you to consider this. Saints, can Smith County, can the world, can your neighbors, can your family see how Jesus Christ has changed your life? Can they see what you've been willing to give up? I'm not talking about what we say. I'm not talking about our doctrine. I'm not talking about what we do on Sunday. I'm talking about how God has changed our lives Sunday through Saturday. So Paul starts giving his credentials here in verse 4. Let me give you the outline. Here's his credentials. One has to do with his billfold. One has to do with his burden. One has to do with his battle. Let me give you a different outline. One has to do with his denial. One has to do with his desire. One has to do with his determination. One has to do with money. One has to do with missions. One has to do with moderation. The outline I prefer is one has to do with tithes. One has to do with testimony. One has to do with temperance. Paul's going to talk to them about three different areas that sort of are his proof for apostleship, if you will. First, let's start with verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 14 and make very few comments. Paul says, Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister or wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? What he says there is, Can I get married too? That's what he's saying. Okay, I'm an apostle, but I can still get married. I can have a wife. Peter does. 
Follow him, verse 6, Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? He said, could I give up my secular job? The answer to all these is yes, 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 yes. Paul said, I could give up my secular job. It's ordained that they preach the gospel, should live the gospel. You folks need to take care of me. Paul could teach them that. That's what he taught the church in Philippi. That's what he taught other churches. He didn't do it here because they were so carnal they couldn't handle it. Notice what he says, verse 7. Who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? Soldiers get compensation. Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? By the way, I'm your ox. Gladly. You know what Paul teaches? He does this in First Timothy chapter 5. He does it here in this passage. He teaches that in the Old Testament, the principle is that if you tread out the corn... Have you ever heard, of, heard him say about a preacher? Man, he's treading the corn now. He's plowing now. Paul says, God set this thing up, verse 10. Saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you. In other words, you give offerings to some missionaries. Can you not give offerings to your pastor? That's what he's teaching. I'll teach this at Bluegrass this week, brother, next week. Now, here's the point. You, you folks do a good job. Okay? You folks do a good job. I'm not, pre- I'm not beating you up. Well, there might be two or three here I'm beating up. You had not tithed in 30 years. You're pathetic. Oh, well, let's just camp out right there. See, you, you, want, you want somebody to tread the corn, but you want to eat the corn. Amen. The principle of the Old Testament is the tithes went to take care of the priests. Paul lays it out as a New Testament principle. And God said, therefore, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's the way God designed it. And the core group of this church believes that strongly. So much so that you're taking care of four men. That's how strongly many of you believe it. And by the way, that's the unbelievable potential God has given this church. The unbelievable opportunities and the doors that have been opened because you believe it. But a handful of you, bless your heart, you're as stingy and tight as they come. You're welcome. That shouldn't, by the way, I should have had a thousand amens on that point. I'm not preaching to the bulk of the people right there. That's a rifle shot. Right at you. Amen. I'm telling you, most of this church understands this principle. It says in verse 12, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. I'll address that in a moment, because I know you want me to. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with one uh, with the altar? Then, he says it, Even so hath the Lord ordained, just like soldiers, just like uh, vineyards, just like uh, the ox, God has ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's the philosophy God gave me in about 1986 and 87. God put it on my heart. That's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life and that I wouldn't make money any other way. That's how, I told my pastor, I hadn't, been, I hadn't been saved a few months, and I said, God's called me to preach. He said, wonderful, you're preaching next week. And then they handed me an offering, and I was insulted. 
I went about a, uh, the next Sunday, I preached somewhere else, and they gave me an offer. And I went somewhere else, and I told my pastor, I said, I don't get this. Why are they giving me money? I said, I don't preach for money. I, I was, you know, I was proud. Let me tell you something, it's harder to be on the receiving end. It is harder to be on the receiving end. But God taught me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that that's what He wanted for me. And I just have to trust Him. I don't trust men. I trust God. That's the way God set it up. I'm going to trust Him. Now, I said that to say this. I'm in my, I started pastor in 1979. After I got out of seminary in 1985, I went to East Tennessee. I'd been there just a few months, and the church had almost doubled in attendance. God was blessing. Everybody wants to see the new preacher, you know. It won't last, but they want to see the new preacher. So they called a business meeting to give me a raise. A business meeting. How would you like a hundred people discussing your salary? So it wouldn't bother me? Okay, stand up and tell us what you're making, what you think you ought to be making. It's not easy. So I've got a business meeting, and I'm the moderator of the business meeting. guy raises his hand. I make a motion. We increase his salary and names and amount. This happened. 1985. I was there. Well, you got to get a second before you can even discuss it. Parliamentary procedure. Robert's rules of order. I was trained well. So I said, is there a second? Yeah, I got a second. All right. Is there any discussion? Yeah. And the next guy looks at the guy that made the motion and said, why would we give him a raise? He already makes more than I do. So now what's the standard of how you take care of the preacher? As long as you don't make more than me. How would you like to be the guy that's moderating that meeting and they're talking about your salary? It's not fun. If I could tell you the stories along these lines of what people have said, you know what the old adage is. If the preacher's not walking, driving around in a car that's falling apart, he's not spiritual. He's driving a better vehicle than I got. That's our attitude. Well, it's quiet in here. Paul said this is a problem in the church. And at Corinth, he refused their money. And that's what he's trying to teach them. He's trying to show them he's more concerned about them than he was their money. So it's awkward to talk about this. I adopted a philosophy from verse 14 a long time ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 13. I adopted the philosophy that God gave me. And I like to, I'd ask every one of you this question, which, by the way, most of you don't need this question. But you might want to ask yourself, how much value do you place on the Word of God? I love the story about the family. You know, they left church. They visited this church one morning. Daddy's railing on the preacher and what a sorry preacher it was. And Mama's talking about the song leader. Acted like he never had led a song in his life. And little girl's talking about the Sunday school teacher. and Just railing on everybody at the church. And the little boy said, well, Daddy, I didn't think it was a bad show for a quarter. Americans are warped. It's amazing how much money we'll put in a 
guy's hand to watch a professional ball game. <clears throat> or how much we'll pay for a meal. Man alive, going to a fast food restaurant now costs you $10. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they'll put these special meal deals up there for $5.99, then charge you $2.99 for a cup of tea. I'd get 32 refills just to get my money's worth. What people will pay for a meal, what people will pay for a ball game, what people will pay for a video game. What people will pay for a cell phone. It's unbelievable. But a man will study and labor and pray and preach. Let's keep him poor. That's what Paul's addressing. And I don't have to preach it at this church. I'm thankful for a church that understands the biblical principles. But I want to remind you that really Paul's motive in bringing all that up is to say to them in verse 12 and verse 15, because they were accusing him, no doubt, of preaching for money, and his attitude is, because of your attitude, I denied myself. I gave up that right. And the burning question that is alluded to without being stated is, what have you given up for Christ? That's what he's trying to point out. It has to do with his billfold. It has to do with money. The second mark that he seems to bring up about his credentials is in verses 19 through 23. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the God sake that I might be partakers thereof with you. His denial, his desire, and then his billfold and his burden, his money and his mission, his tithes and his testimony, his heart was to reach people with the gospel. He said, I'll give you the greatest mark of authenticity in the call of God on my life is my burden for souls. What about us? He says over there in Romans 9, I wish that I could be accursed for my kinsmen, my brethren according to the flesh. He said, I wish I could go to hell for lost Jews. And I won't go across the street. Church, let me remind you that the world is watching us just like they watched Paul. And as we've said a million times, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Do your neighbors know you care for their soul? Oh my, I went to see my niece when I was in Alabama I've told most of you the story but she was so moved that I would even take an hour out of my day I'm going to a wedding Connor and Kaylee's wedding and, and, and she didn't get saved I thought she was on the verge of being saved but I'm telling you she told her mother later she was just so she was overwhelmed that I would take that kind of time and just come and spend an hour with her that's not a, I didn't do anything special I didn't do anything Grand, I didn't do anything wonderful. I just did what a Christian ought to do. Just going made a difference for her. 
She sent me a text just the other day and said she's going to be calling me this week. Man, I hope she does. Paul said, you want to know my credentials? Here's what I do to try to win souls. Here's what I do because I'm care, I care about people. His burden. His concern. First John says, Jesus Christ, chapter 3, verse 16, laid His life down for us. We ought to therefore lay our lives down for the brethren. It's just talking about giving of ourselves for others. Now please remember, Paul is showing his marks of a Christian. His billfold, his burden, and then his battle. His denial, his desire... And then his determination, verse 24. I want you to see this and we'll be through. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now get verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertain to get it, so Fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I want to give you my marks of authenticity. I want to show you my credentials as an apostle. I run and I fight. I'm not passive. I'm not idle. I'm not half-hearted. I'm not led to sin. I've been in this thing a long time and I'm still running and I'm still fighting. That ought to tell you something. That's what he's saying. Are you still fighting? Are you still running? Or are you dragging your feet as a child of God? He said over there in Philippians chapter 3, he said, hey, he said, God's blessed me. I've grown some in my walk with God. I've enjoyed a lot of victories. But then he says this, but forgetting those things which are behind. We read that as if he's saying, let, let go of all those bad things that's happened to you. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I've had some success, but I can't dwell there. I press on to higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I don't want to be satisfied with past success. God, I want more victory in my life. I run. I fight. I refuse Laodicea. I will not stay in this rut. I will not be mediocre. I will not just play Sunday church. He says in verse 27, I keep my body under subjection. In other words, please get this. The authenticity of His apostleship, the mark of His maturity is not simply what He does on Sunday. He says, hey, my hands, my feet, my eyes and my ears under the authority of the Holy Spirit of the living God. In other words, He's affected my entire life. I even keep my body under subjection. The Holy Spirit rules me, not my appetite. The Holy Spirit rules me, not my indulgence or my physical desires. Church, can I remind you we're being examined. He says, my answer to them that do examine me. Are you the real deal? God really changed your life? That's what he's saying. You really believe that God's called you? You really believe that God's put His hand on you? You really believe that you're born again? 
And Paul says, well, let me just tell you some things that might help you to believe that. So get this, church, in verse 15, this is what I want to close with. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die, watch it, than that my that any man should make my glory void. Can I tell you something? The reason we limit our liberty, the reason we bring our body in subjection, the reason we uh, give up certain things, the reason we don't go certain places is a privilege. It's an honor. It's our glory. He said in Philippians, he said, being made conformable unto his death. Paul saw it as a tremendous privilege to give of ourselves for the benefit of others. And if I can change and do things differently so that somebody might see the testimony of Christ more real, then what a privilege it is. We think rules and restrictions and regulations somehow put us down. No. They give us an opportunity to do something for God and be identified with Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. We ought to see it that way. Let's all stand, heads are bowed, eyes are closed.